And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh, you got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24+. Hmm, how's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. If we were playing trivia and I asked you to name a sewing machine brand, you'd probably say Singer. And if you don't sew, you might not even be able to think of another brand. So given that, you might assume that a guy named Singer invented the sewing machine. But you'd be wrong. This is Bizography, the show where we dive into the strange but true stories of iconic companies. Whether they're a current bright star in the midst of a massive dumpster fire or settling into the dust heap of history, they all have a past worth knowing. I'm Dana Barrett. I'm a former tech executive, an entrepreneur, and a TV and radio host. And over the course of my career, I've interviewed thousands of business leaders and reported on the bright beginnings and massive flameouts of the brands we know and love. Some of their stories are about hard work and perseverance. Some are about finding opportunity at the right time in history. And some are about bad boys who just think they can do whatever they want. Bizography is a production of iHeartRadio and DB Media and is co-hosted, as always, by my producer, Nick Bean. Hello, Dana. Okay, so what do you mean by that? Because I know Singer wasn't the first to invent a sewing machine, and I know he was kind of a player in his personal life. But what do you mean by bad boys who just think they can do whatever they want? You make it sound like there's more than one? Okay, well, no. Singer is the bad boy in this episode of Bizography, but his exploits in the 1800s remind me a lot of some of the other well-known entrepreneurs from modern times. Think, you know, like WeWork's co-founder and chief executive, Adam Newman, who, you know, has been partying all over the place, got caught with like marijuana in his plane. um, And all of that has sort of been in the news lately. 
Then there's Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, who we hear about all the time. And he is constantly mouthing off about something. He's going on camera, smoking pot. He's on, you know, investor calls, kind of telling off his own investors. And then, of course, we all remember bad boy uh, Travis Kalanick, the CEO of Uber. Remember that uh, little bit where he got caught on tape uh, just basically taking down one of his drivers? You keep changing. Hold on a second. What have I changed about black? What have you I changed? changed the whole business. What? what? You dropped the prices on on black. Yes, you did. Bullshit. We started with twenty dollars. We started with twenty dollars. You know what? how much is the mile now? Two seventy five. You know what? What? Some people don't like to take responsibility for I their responsibility. They blame everything. But in why that you send an email else. for town car? Good luck. Yeah, bad look there. So all these guys, though, were kicked out of the top job, at least partially. So you're saying Singer was kicked out? Well, not exactly. I mean, times were different, and he wasn't forced out of his company. But his antics did actually force him to flee the country at one point. So maybe that's even more dramatic. (laughs) Uh, Of course, all of the bad boy antics are only part of the Singer story. Isaac Merritt Singer was an inventor. But it wasn't his invention that turned Singer, the company, into the iconic business that we're going to talk about. It was so iconic. At one time, this business had 90% market share. Wow. It's There's a reason why when you say sewing machine, people think Singer. Um, it wasn't, though, because of that invention. He wasn't the first. It was because he was a force of personality like those other guys and because of two changes to the way that we do business that he capitalized on better than anybody else. One having to do with patents, and the other that literally gave rise to the extreme consumerism we have today. Oh, so we have a lot to get through. I assume we should probably start at the beginning, though, yeah? That is always a good plan. (laughs) So let's start with little baby Isaac Merritt Singer. He was born in 1811 in Pittstown, New York, which is sort of upstate near Rochester, and Um, kind of had a relatively normal childhood, I think, for that era. Then in 1821, when he was 10 years old, his parents got divorced and his mother left. Uh, His father, Adam, remarried. 10-year-old Isaac did not get along with his stepmother. So two years later in 1823, he went to live with his brother in Oswego, New York. Uh, His brother had a machine shop. This, of course, is his older brother. And he starts working there and learns how to become a mechanic. He's like apprenticing there. Uh, And he's doing some other odd jobs in Oswego and kind of just growing up, if you will. Um, Ultimately, somewhere in the middle of all of this, he got the acting bug and ran off to join a traveling stage act called the Rochester Players. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I have to say, we did a lot of research on the young years of Isaac Merritt Singer. And... When you're looking back into history, especially with somebody like this who wasn't super well documented, it's kind of hard to put the exact pieces together of when the important things happened. And I don't want to get too mired down in the details, but I think we could at least get to sort of the main things. His marriage and the fact that he sort of was going back and forth between working in this sort of mechanic world and acting. Yeah, two very, very different fields of profession that he was really into. Right. So I think we should go start with his marriage because that might be simpler. 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> or in his case, it might even be not simpler. Oh. We'll see. But in 1830, when he was only 19, I say that because in our era, 19 would be young to get married. I don't right. think it really was then. But he was 19 years old in 1830 when he married 15-year-old Catherine Maria Haley. And uh, they ended up ultimately having two kids, the first one, William, the second one, Lillian. But he was like an actor the way we sometimes think of them today. Mm. Sort of a celeb. Yeah. He was a player in he, the modern sense of the word. Yeah, he took advantage of the groupies, I guess one would say. One one would say that. <laughs> so he started having an affair pretty early on. Like after the first kid was born, he was already having an affair because he had a kid with the woman he was having an affair with before his second child from his marriage was born. Right. So he was playing around from early days. It is worth noting also that he was six foot four. It's a tall guy, especially back then. Right. So he was noteworthy. He had a presence, you know, and he took that on the road um, as an actor. And so in and around those years, and I want to get into his love life in more detail because I said he was a bad boy and most of it was around his promiscuity. Yes. Shall we call it? <laughs> so part of the story is that he was back and forth between sort of mechanicking and acting really throughout the next almost 20 years, throughout the... Uh, 1830s and 1840s. But from a work perspective, probably the most noteworthy early moment was in 1839 when uh, he really established himself as an inventor. He was working in Illinois at the time, and that's when he got his first patent. He patented a rock drilling machine that he made for the government, and he got 2000 bucks for it. Not too bad. Yeah, that was like around $55,000 in today's money. Wow. So that was a lot. I mean, 2000 for us sounds like that's a paycheck. Right. You know what I mean? A small one, depending on who you are. Right. But 55000 that's... It's that's like a year's salary for most people. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. So, again, with this back and forth business, it really seemed, and you pointed this out, Nick, when we were doing the research, that he was mechanicking, which, by the way, is a word I have now made up, <laughs> to support his acting and philandering. R correct. Yes. <laughs> like, he, he wasn't... He didn't love being an inventor or a mechanic, he just was doing that, and then he'd get enough money, and he'd go back to the other lifestyle. Yep. So that's exactly what he did uh, in 1839. He took that money that he got for the patent, and he founded his own acting troupe. Now, remember, he had originally been in the Rochester Players. There was a short stint in another group called the Baltimore Players. Uh, now he forms his own troupe called the Merritt Players. That's his middle name, Merritt. So, um, And by the way, when he was on the road with the Merritt Players, he went by the name Isaac Merritt. Yep. Which is part of the reason it makes his history a little hard to track. Yeah, because he wasn't the same guy right. all the way across. Yeah, exactly. It's very convoluted. So that's um, through his acting career is where he met this first woman that he had uh, an affair with, Mary Ann Sponsler, and he formed the Merritt Players with her. So they were already together by the time the Merritt Players were formed. And he had a 25-year-long relationship with her, yeah. where his first marriage was already kind of crumbling by then. Um, but he wasn't free to marry her because he was still married to the first one. Right. And I think they didn't get a divorce till a lot later. Yeah, till uh, 1860, I think, is when she finally filed for divorce against him. Yeah. And I want to dig into the love life. And I have to admit, uh, we break up the research in different ways when we're doing these episodes. And you, Nick, did more of the research on the love life. Right. So I'm going to let you tell that story uh, in a little bit. Okay. Because that's probably the best part of this whole episode. <laughs> um, this guy was really something. Yeah. Um, in any case, it is worth noting that even though... Um, he didn't marry Marianne legally at that point. They did have a common law marriage, mm -hmm. and they had 10 kids together. 
Ken. Yeah. Wow. Um, also, while they were traveling and he was going under the name Isaac Merritt, she was going under the name Mrs. Merritt. Mm-hmm. So this really is like one of those, a family in one city with one name and a family in another city with another name. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, we didn't even mention the fact that when he was younger, before he even married anybody, he was already being promiscuous. Right. When he was out with the Rochester players. Yeah, so there's a lot of kids involved here, and there's many kids that we don't know about. Right. Because they were illegitimate. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That is the quintessential bad boy, in my humble opinion. All right, I got to ask, though, the Merritt players, the Rochester players, the Baltimore yeah. players, and he was a player. Do you think that that term, do you think the term player came from acting, from actors being players? You know, I always thought for the longest time it was a, you know, players play the field, right? Baseball, like, football, soccer. Like you ballers. play on the field, right? Yeah. So you're playing the field. But now that we've done this research, I could totally see it. Because most of the acting troops were the something players. That's what they were called. Yeah. Not actors, players. I totally think this is probably where that term originated from. I mean... In fairness, we did not research the, is it called etymology of the word? Right. (laughs) Of the term player. Like, we did an urban dictionary and try to figure out exactly where that term originally came from. But it doesn't seem, like, too impossible that it came from this. Right. Because, like you said, there is kind of that aura about actors, right? That most of the time, and you can't tell me that back then he was the only actor in a troupe that was doing this. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, they were traveling all over the country. Yeah. Nobody was paying attention. They didn't they have were social young. media to stalk people on in the 1830s right. and 40s. Yeah. <laughs> there were no there were no video uh, cameras in everyone's pocket right. at the time. Um, in any case, that basically this going back and forth between acting, mechanicking, and marrying and having kids all over the place was sort of how Isaac Merritt Singer spent the 1830s and 1840s. In 1849, uh, after, remember, this is now 10 years after that first patent, which was 1839 Mm -hmm. for that rock drilling machine, he invents a new thing. And this time it's a wood and metal carving machine. And he opens his own factory. He's, I think, now decided he's a grown man. Um, He's going to have, he's going to get serious and have a business. So he opens a factory to manufacture this new wood and metal carving machine that he created. But the factory was destroyed in an explosion. Oh, Oops. Now, there's not a lot of history about that story, but I bet there was a story there. Oh, yeah. Because that's a little convenient. (laughs) You never really hear anything more about the wooden metal carving machine. It's true. We don't really know what it was. I'm thinking maybe he opened the factory. It wasn't going so well. Maybe he got some players to do something that wasn't Uh... really above board. You know, I don't know. You're right, though, because the records that we did find did say that that invention wasn't doing awesome when he first started making it. Yeah, I don't have proof of this. I'm just, because he was such a player, just generally, (laughs) I just wonder if, like, he was like, oh, maybe I don't really want to do this. I'll go have some guys go in at, like, 2 a.m. and put some extra coals in the boiler, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering. (laughs) All right, anyway, 1849, that same year, uh, Singer meets a lawyer, a New York lawyer named Edward Clark, And um, it's around that time also that he helps another guy that he was doing some work for, Pomeroy, sort of make a better sewing machine. Mm -hmm. So he didn't invent a sewing machine. There were other people who had sewing machines on the market. The main one really is a guy named Elias Howe. Uh, But this guy Pomeroy had a sewing machine in his shop and Isaac Singer made it better. And then he decided he should patent his part of, of the sewing machine and try to make some money on that. That is how uh, he and Edward Clark started working together. 
because of the factory burning down, he didn't have a lot of money. So he gave like most of the patent to the lawyer, three, three eighths of it or something. So that's kind of a lot, not quite half. But still a lot for just being the lawyer helping with the legal process. Yeah. I don't think people do that so much anymore. Now you just pay cash and you keep the patent. Yep. Um, In any case, 1850 is when his sewing machine really becomes a thing. And some call it, you know, the world's first practical sewing machine that was used in homes. Mm -hmm. So not the first sewing machine. No. But the first one to really get sort of practical and popular. Right. Okay. It's 1850 now. Okay. So now he is sort of, you know, for real as a grown man. Yeah. And he's got this invention. But the problem is there are a lot of other people that have patents on sewing machines. So how's he going to handle that? We'll talk about it right after this. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Upgrade your home now at Blinds.com's anniversary sale. And celebrate savings up to 50% off premium window treatments for years to come. Shop for your house from the comfort of home for modern Roman and woven wood shades, shutters, motorized options, and more. 100% online. Blinds.com invented the better way to shop. No salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. You can do the measuring and installation yourself or have Blinds.com handle it. Unlimited windows for just one low cost. Our design experts can help you select the perfect styles to fit your home and your budget. Totally free. We'll even send you samples fast and free. At Blinds.com, you get upfront pricing with no hidden fees, free shipping, plus our 100% satisfaction guarantee. So raise a toast. To Blinds.com and make this an anniversary sale to remember. Shop Blinds.com's anniversary sale happening right now for up to 50% off. Save up to 50% at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love. Online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. So it's 1850 and our, can we call him our hero? Mm, Okay. Okay. For now. For now. (laughs) Our hero, Isaac Merritt Singer, has... Mm, essentially, air quotes, invented a sewing machine that, you know, operates at 900 stitches per minute. It takes the time to make a shirt down from like 14 minutes to one minute. I mean, I could not make a shirt in one minute with the best machine. But the professional seamstress can do that. There you go. (laughs) And in those days, of course, people were making their clothes at home. Fashion wasn't the way it is now. There was no such thing as fast fashion back in those days. Uh, In any case, in 1950, that is when uh, Singer first has his company, I.M. Singer & Co. 
1851, the patent he had applied for comes through and it's issued again. And part of it is owned by his attorney slash business partner, uh, Edward Clark. Uh, it's patent number 8294, which I just kind of love because the numbers are so huge now. Yeah, aren't they like God, the, like seven or eight? It's, it's absurd. Yeah, and that, and that was 8294. Uh, that was the first Singer brand sewing machine patent. It was uh, August 12th, 1851. Now, I mentioned uh, in the first segment that there were other people that had patented sewing machines before Singer. So how come he became so famous? Like, why do we not? If I say name a sewing machine, you don't go, oh, the how? Yeah, I don't think anybody even knows that that was ever a thing. No, right? Right. I mean, Elias Howe, like, maybe rings a vague bell for somebody, (laughs) but not really. Um, Here's the thing. The machine was good. It was practical. Maybe it was slightly better than the others. It's unclear. But really what happened was all of these guys started duking it out. They were all fighting. And through the early 1850s, they were all trying to sell their own sewing machines into the marketplace where, by the way, remember, everybody made their own clothes, essentially. Or maybe maybe you, if you had real money, you could buy it at sort of the dry goods store clothing. Right, right. But more likely, you bought your material at the dry goods mm-hmm. store, you brought it home, and you either sewed it by hand or you got one of these fancy new sewing machines, and that's how you got your clothes. Right. So they're all trying to sell their machines, and they're all accusing each other of patent infringement mm. and suing each other. And it's funny because so many, so much of what happened in, in Isaac Singer's life feels like it could happen now. That's very true, right? With all the lawsuits of each other, of you took this piece of my idea and that piece of my idea. Yeah, even his personal life. Like, I don't think of people getting divorces in the 1800s, but like his dad got a divorce right. in the early 1800s, yeah. you know, and he didn't like his stepmom. Like, that's right out of an after-school special from the <laughs> 1980s, you very know? Very true, very true. Um, in any case, they're all duking it out, uh, fighting over these patents. This is a bunch of different manufacturers, one called Grover and Baker, one called Singer, we know him, mm-hmm. one called Wheeler and Wilson, uh, Howe was in the middle of all of this. And then there was uh, this lawyer, his name was Orlando Potter. He was uh, a lawyer and he was president also of the Grover and Baker company. And it was his sort of brilliant idea that changed the game for Singer because his idea was that rather than squandering all the profits on all these lawsuits back and forth, that they should pool their patents. Okay, so basically, we'll all take our ideas and we'll put them in a big pot and we'll take our respective pieces of the pie? Essentially, yes. It was really the first ever patent pool. And the idea was because they had all sort of patented different parts of the machine or different parts of the process, they would put them all together in a pool. They would license their idea essentially their pooled idea to whoever wanted to buy it and they would all share in the profits. So that's what they did. So they stopped screwing around with the courts (laughs) and they got to making sewing machines. Uh, Some of them took their money and ran, but Singer decided to stick with it and make these machines. And he then took his sort of tenacity and started selling sewing machines like crazy. Yeah, to everybody and anybody. Right. Like one of the early companies in in that era to go uh, international. And I think this is interesting, too. It's the very first one, right? Because how many times have we 
had good ideas, not you and I, but anyone, had a good idea about something based off of an already existing invention. That's essentially what this was, yeah. right? Is, ooh, we're going to make the needle work differently or the mechanism inside that works the needle or the way the needle's made that was just better and better and better upon the same machine. Yeah. But you're right. They were spending, at that point in time, probably thousands, which is a lot of money in court just suing the heck out of each other. They never got to business. Right. And this solved that problem. Right. That's and I think awesome. there's another interesting point that you bring up there, which is nowadays, if you were working inventing something and one of the things you would probably do pretty early on is hire a patent attorney mm-hmm. to go look and see if there were other patents already on this. Right. And if there were, you'd probably give up and move on. That's a good point. But these guys were kind of in the like ask for forgiveness, not permission sort of <laughs> mode. Right? It's true. <laughs> I mean, I think really, let's be honest, that's how Isaac Merritt Singer lived his entire life. Yeah. Let's just do what we want to do and see if we can get away with it. That's a good point. Right? <laughs> It worked out for him this time around. Right. So the patent pool really made it possible for him to do what he wanted to do without all the litigation that might have ensued otherwise. And that was an important part of the Singer sewing machine company story. But the bigger piece of Singer's success had to do with a completely different business tactic, one that I think has changed the game for American consumerism and maybe world consumerism ever since. We'll talk about it right after this. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. So we were talking about the idea of the patent pool, this concept of grouping a bunch of patents together and how the decision to do that, first of all, wasn't Singer's idea, but one of the attorneys for the other company, one of the other companies that thought of it, but also in that same mode of asking for forgiveness instead of permission, while that whole thing was going on during the 1850s, business continued for all of these companies. So, for example, in 1856, when the patent pool actually got started, they were well into making these machines and getting all kinds of accolades for them. The year before the patent pool even became a thing, in 1855, Singer was awarded the first prize at the World's Fair in Paris, France. So, 
they were already getting all kinds of accolades. And it was that year, 1855, again, before the patent pool really became a thing, that Singer became the largest selling brand of sewing machines. Internationally. Wow. So they weren't waiting for the results of all of these lawsuits. They were just plowing ahead. (laughs) Kind of along the lines of some of our other bad boys. Right. We talked about Elon Musk and we talked about uh, Adam Newman from WeWork. And these are kind of the same kind of guys who just move forward and do things the way they want to do them. And they work it out in the courts later. I mean, Uber certainly was famous for that. I mean, Uber went international and despite whatever laws were in their way. Yeah, they did some underhanded things in certain cities. Yeah, they yeah, they bad. broke regulations. Yeah. They they just did things without asking permission. They just went in and did their thing and waited for the cities, the countries, the localities, whomever, to sue them. And then they, they brought the lawyers in and they dealt with it. Yeah. So this is sort of the same story the for Singer, things. right? So 1855, they win this huge award at the World's Fair. They become the largest selling brand of sewing machines. But again... Even all of that didn't necessarily cement them in history. It was really an idea had by, again, not Singer, (laughs) but his business partner and lawyer, Edward Clark, who in 1856, that same year that the patent pool was okayed, came up with an idea that, in my mind, changed consumerism. It was the first ever American installment purchase plan. Uh, so this was before the days of credit cards. Yeah. It was really, it's not that you couldn't buy things on credit before this. You know, in small towns where everybody knew each other, you could go into the local store and if they knew you, they would put it on your tab, right? right. And you would pay it later. So that was essentially early buying on credit. Um, and there were installment plans in other parts of the world that had sort of bubbled up, but never became as huge and popular as what Singer created with the installment plan to buy a sewing machine. So the idea was that sewing machines were not cheap and everybody wanted one, but the average, you know, 1850s, 1860s housewife couldn't afford it. Right. So they came up with this installment plan, you know, four easy payments. (laughs) We all know that, right? And when you think about what that developed into over time with credit cards and how we now, so many Americans, myself included, live beyond our means by way of credit and by way of installment plans, essentially, except now we just generally do it in a more centralized way. Right, through a single company instead of through each individual person you get stuff from. Yeah, although I think a lot of people probably have something, for example, like a Best Buy credit card. Yeah, the store cards. and Right, and so you're buying all, maybe not just a single machine, but all of your machines on on an installment plan, essentially, especially when they give you that 0% interest for however many months. That is the equivalent of an installment plan. It is. Yeah. Um, And it also, of course, reminds me very much of the modern infomercials where you still are literally buying things with the three easy payments or the four easy payments. (laughs) I mean, there's everybody doing that to this day from like Chuck Norris and the Total Gym to uh, Proactive to uh, I think we pulled one, right? Now the Extraordinary Slim Cycle is just six payments of $39.99. But wait, there's more. We'll also include 10 free, fun, downloadable videos. I am so confident that you will love Slim Cycle as much as I do that I'm offering a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't think this is the most comfortable and effective bike you've ever used, just send it back. No questions asked. I mean, I don't think any of us feels like those 
kinds of infomercials are new per se, but they obviously still work. And Singer was doing this all the way back in the 1850s. Now, listen, I wish there was audio from commercials from back in the 1850s, but uh, no. However, they were doing it still 100 years after that in the 1950s. And we did pull a Singer commercial from that era. Take a listen. Remember, the Singer economy model in this beautiful walnut cabinet is only $149.95 with a down payment of only $14.95. And with either model, you'll receive the famous Singer sewing course absolutely free. So try one of these Singers in your home soon. There's no charge, no obligation of any kind. Just phone or stop in at your Singer sewing center tomorrow and ask for your free home trial. So how do you take your expensive invention in the 1850s and make it accessible to everybody? With four easy payments. That's how you do it. And just wait, there's more. Right, exactly. They would have things they tossed in for folks who incentivized them to come out and buy. And it's so crazy to think that all of this started with the sewing machine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And listen, in fairness to Singer and the company, they were still patenting new ideas for the sewing machine. Once he got focused around this invention and this machine, he clearly was a smart guy. Right. Just like some of these other men we were talking about in modern times. These are brilliant men. They're also just kind of wild men. <laughs> and he was sort of the same way. He he had a absolutely had an inventor's mind. He introduced the first lightweight domestic sewing machine called the Grasshopper and trademarked that in 1858. Um, He was, you know, patenting more and more pieces. I think, did you say they did the first foot pedal? Right, yeah. Singer was the company that invented the the foot pedal part of the sewing machine that I think so many of us remember, you know, grandma pedaling as she sewed the clothes. Yeah. That was them. Yeah, absolutely. So also in 1860, uh, Isaac Singer had consolidated enough patents in the field to allow him to really get into mass production. So by 1860, later that year, his company became the largest manufacturer of sewing machines in the world. Wow. Five years later, in 1865, they renamed the company to the Singer Manufacturing Company. And that same year, they deliver the, quote, New Family Sewing Machine. That was the title of that one or the name brand of that one, the New Family Sewing Machine. (laughs) Now, keep in mind, this is like Civil War era. Yeah. Wow. It's incredible to think. Right, because every time I'm reading this story, it feels like it should have been something that was happening in the 1950s, not the 1850s. Right. Right. Because they were... They were machines, but they weren't like, you know, they weren't like what we think of today, made of plastic and plugged in and right. Like they were, you pedaled and you, you know, right. I mean, it was a whole different thing. It really was absolutely old school machinery. Yes, absolutely. Um, In any case, the Civil War ended in, uh, was that 1865 also? Yeah, 1865. And, you know, business kept going. And as I mentioned, they were already international, but by this point, they had a demand for sewing machines in the UK that was now so high that they uh, were ready to open a factory there in the UK. So they opened a factory in uh, Glasgow. Is that how you say it? Glasgow. Glasgow. I think you have to say it with a British accent, or it doesn't count. (laughs) Um, And Singer... I believe, did some traveling back and forth, correct? Yeah, he did a little bit of back and forth traveling, and some of that comes back to his love life. Which I think we, I want to sort of save his love life (laughs) almost to the end of the episode because it's such a story. Oh, yes. This is a total made-for-TV movie. Yes. (laughs) And we do have one more sort of important business 
piece to the puzzle here. Yeah. And that is the trademark. Mm. So the Singer uh, trademark was a red S-girl trademark. That's what it was sort of known as. It debuted in 1870. It was produced in multiple languages and became one of the most recognized trademarks in the world. Um, It was not the first trademark, but it was the same year as the first trademark. So it was one of the earliest trademarks. The first one was actually that same year, 1870, by a company called Avril Paints. They had the first U.S. registered trademark. Uh, Interesting to note that a lot of the other sort of trademark history is in and around beer. Which is not surprising. That's one of the oldest industries in the world, right? Is alcohol fermentation, stuff like that. Yeah. So the first official, like, you know, beer trademark in the UK was five years after the Avril Paints mm-hmm. and the Singer trademarks. It was 1875, and it was the Bass Beer, the red triangle logo uh, that you can probably still picture. That was the first registered trademark in the UK. Wow. Yeah. But there's a little bit of a, like, way before that story. <laughs> oh, you think that was early. But way before that, in the 1300s, Whoa. there are some unofficial claims to the earliest trademarks. Okay. So Lowenbrow Beer claims to have the oldest continually used trademark in the world, saying that they uh, started using theirs in 1383. Whoa. And then Stella Artois, a beer that oh, a lot yes. of people know, it claims continuous use of its trademark from before that even, from 1366. That is, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So they weren't registered in the modern systems, but they were used and protected essentially since the 1300s. That's crazy. Yeah. The trademarking is goes that far back. I know. <laughs> but of course, again, Singer, uh, in terms of U.S. trademarks, was one of the earliest ones in that first year uh, of registered trademarks That's a lot in the of United firsts States. with him. Yeah, absolutely. So in any case, uh, the business is growing. He's got patents. He's got trademarks. He's got wives. He's got kids. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Um, I have to say, he never did get kicked out of the company. He died a millionaire. With $14 million at the time in 1875. So, you know, he was in his 60s. It wasn't an old man, but relatively speaking by the time period, he, you know, he was older. Uh, And he had a lot of stress because he had a lot of women and a lot of kids. Um, But he had $14 million uh, to his name when he died, and that had to get divided up. Well, which could, you know, $14 million is still a lot to divide up today. But mind you, in 1875 dollars, it's almost $330 million. So quite a fortune. Yeah. So (laughs) if you think of like the richest sort of playboy you know who gets away with bad boy behavior, think of this guy. Because that kind of money, hundreds of millions of dollars equivalent in that era— yeah. And he had just enough women and kids to uh, really, as you said, make it made for a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have to get to, you know, his life and his love life next. But I guess we should wrap the business story by saying after his death, the company went on and continued to uh, innovate and grow. And uh, ultimately, you know, as we know, fashion became something done by, you know, always still to this day done by machine, of course, but mostly in factories and much less and less over the years at homes. At home, sewing became much more of a hobby and less of a necessity, but Singer still remains to this day one of the biggest sewing machine brands out there. 
Yeah, and they're still innovating new stuff using computers and crazy technology all the way up to today. Yeah, there's an app for that. That's crazy. There's literally a singer app. (laughs) I don't know why you would need one because I don't sew, but it exists. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, sort of global history as they, you know, I mentioned that Singer had 90% of market share at one point. That was all the way back in 1890. They were crushing it. So that that, that would qualify as a monopoly, right? Yeah. And by the way, I should also mention before we get to the love life mm. that there was some of the I have a big personality and I need my name on everything about the Singer brand yeah. also throughout history. They had some famous buildings over time, one in Manhattan that was 47 stories tall. Now, this is long after Singer is gone. Oh, yes. But uh, they had this tallest ever building in the world at the time, which was 47 stories. It was 1908. But they lost their title for tallest building one year later. Yeah, oh, that was that period of time, though, right? When everyone was trying to out-inch the other. Exactly. Everybody's one one story taller, <laughs> one, two stories taller, right? Um, that said, the building did hold a really interesting record. Uh, of being one of the tallest buildings, I think the tallest building ever to be purposely demolished. Oh, wow. Right. Forty, Yeah, 40-something stories is a very tall building right. to have it, you know, to take down. They essentially took it down to put something bigger in its place. That's crazy. Um, and th- it held that title until 9-11. And, of course, we know that tw- the Twin Towers didn't come down, like, purposefully because of being demolished. Right, right. So, so the Singer building is still the biggest to purposely be taken down. That's incredible. Yeah, crazy. Uh, In any case, he was clearly a success despite his Playboy craziness, which we have to end the story with and which we will do right after this. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home, too? The place to do it is Aaron's. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at Aaron's. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. So Singer, obviously a hugely successful man, you know, died with $14 million to his name, which we said was how many hundreds of millions? Almost 330. Right. And a company that continues to this day. And while it is certainly less of a household name now, that's really because the industry changed. There's a lot of fascinating pieces to the story. For example, they never really branched out far beyond the sewing machine. 
right? I mean, they did occasionally acquire other companies along the way, long after Singer had died, that did other things. But the Singer company itself was always sewing machines. And by the way, it, of course, over the years has been bought and sold and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the end of the day, the personality behind the brand is such a story that we had to save it for last. Because this goes beyond a guy got married and, oh, yeah, he also had an affair. This goes way beyond. So, like... Take me all the way back, Nick, to like when this all started. Okay, so he married his first wife, wife Catherine, right, in 1830. He was 19, she was 15. And they had their first child in 1834. Okay. Okay. So, as we know, there is obviously no definite records, but he was already <clears throat> dishonest he was getting about around. that. Right, when they were together and right about the time they had their first child. So, he's married to Catherine, they have their first child. He is off with a woman that we said named Mary Ann Sponsler. He found her during his first tirade through the acting troops and everything else like that. Well, she has their first child in 1837, just three years after his first child from his first wife is born. Okay, long story short, he ends up leaving his first wife after their second child is born to basically live with Marianne full time, right? He's he's decided that the mistress is be going is going to become the maid. He's going to go off and live with his second family. Catherine. But and they have ten kids together. Mary. Marianne, yeah. yes. Catherine has two. Marianne and Isaac have ten children together. Now remind you, this is now we're up to twelve. This is not mentioning the kids that we don't know about because he had many illegitimate children during his acting troupe days. Yes, he, had, when... he was like going out every night oh, on yeah. the town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. So so he's with Marianne and they, like you said before, have a very long 25 year relationship. He's she's alongside him when the when the singer corporation is blowing up and starting to become extremely successful. They're doing so well that singer himself decides, hey, I'm going to buy a mansion on Fifth Avenue. Right. Oh, yeah. So he moves Marianne and the 10, I think eight at the time, children into this mansion on Fifth Avenue. And things are going okay until Mary Ann one day while walking down Fifth Avenue spots Isaac in a carriage alongside one Mary McGonagall. Now, this woman is an, was an employee of Isaac's that Marianne had some suspicions about. Obviously, she knows her husband is not the most faithful man around, and he's been spending too much time with this Mary McGonagall. Well, come to find out, she was right, because when she saw him, Mary was pregnant with Isaac's child. Oops. Oh, hold on. After Isaac had already had an affair with Mary's sister. Yeah, okay. So, okay. So this, he ends up, Marianne says, get out. I'm kicking you out. I'm not taking this. So he ends up getting with Mary McGonagall and they together have five children who use a different name completely. They use the last name Matthews. Hold on a second. So now at my count, we Uh are up to 17 kids. We are up to 17 kids with three wives. Got it. Or women. Mary Ann was never a wife, but like you said, common law marriage. So she has five children and (laughs) and come to find out in 1860... Catherine comes back into the picture, his first wife, and she goes to have a divor- uh, get a divorce from him, but comes to find out that he divorced her first. What? He filed for divorce a year earlier, claiming that <clears throat> she had an adulterous relationship with a man named Stephen Kent. Oh, uh, pot, pot calling the kettle black much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, what? very much so. So wow. she goes 
fine. She signs on the dotted line. They have an official divorce. The sidetrack to this, that part of the story is that Isaac's oldest child, William, his first son with Catherine, ends up speaking up against his dad in court during the divorce proceedings, which causes Isaac to completely remove him from the will. God. So his oldest son got not a penny of that 300 and some odd million dollar fortune. Jerk. Because he called dad out for being... Dad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. For being exactly who he yeah. was. Yeah. So, so now he's got 17. Hold on. Now with Mary McGonagall. But wait, there's more. Oh, right. <laughs> but wait, there's more because <sighs> all of this finishes right about 1862 because he decides I, I can't do it anymore. Mary Ann is breathing down my neck. Catherine's looking for a divorce. So he grabs Mary McGonagall and they run away to London in 1862. He dies in London. He never comes back to the U.S. because of his reputation. Well, Come to find out there was another family he had that nobody knew about. And it was another, what is this, his fourth family at this point with a Mary Eastwood Walters. Now, I don't know. Maybe Mary was just a very common name back then. But three of his wives were named Mary. Well, if you think about it, yeah, if you think about it, though, it made some kind of sense because he didn't have to worry about calling out the wrong name. Oh, my God. There you go. See, we said he was a smart guy. <laughs> Maybe he looked specifically for Mary's or Marianne's. Right. Oh, my goodness. So apparently his fourth family with this Mary Eastwood Walters happened after Mary McGonagall affair started, but before he left to London okay. because she was a machine worker in his factory in New York and they also had a child together. Only one? Only one child. Wow, so he was slacking by like, then. This was just like a fling, right? And that was the end of it. Basically, by about 1870, come to find out, he has 18 children, 18 children that he claims 18 children, but it's not over yet. But wait, there with, is even more with four easy installments. You with, can have 24 five, kids, five easy installments of wives. <laughs> you can end up with three dozen children because he finally runs away to London. He's living there for a little while and he gets bored with Mary McGonagall. And like a year later, he goes and moves to Paris to pick up a woman uh, that he had spent some time with back in the day and brought her back to London and wed her. Her name, Isabella Eugenie Boyer. He's about 50. She's about 19. Oh, my. She was, it's a rumor, but they said she was the model for the Statue of Liberty. Interesting. So that's interesting, right? Well, she gave him six more children Whoa. before it was all said and done. Wait, His, so he literally had 24, 25 kids? He literally kids. had, what, 18 plus 6. 22, or 24 children by the time of his death. 24 children, mind you, that he claimed as his. There are many more out there who will never know. I mean, I didn't think I would ever be commenting on this kind of thing in this podcast, but he had some good swimmers. Yeah. <laughs> he did. That is one way... To phrase that. Yeah, this man was, and that's part of the thing too, is some of the business struggles late into the Singer Corporation stem from his business partners going, Isaac, dude, keep it in your pants. Right, we can Every... sew you some new pants that don't have like a button fly. We'll just sew right. them right up in and, the front. And, and it's causing a lot of people that in the business world to not want to do business with Singer. It starts to get shaky there towards the end yeah. because of his reputation, yeah. because he couldn't keep it yeah. in his pants. He had to run. He, it literally, and you kind of uh, glossed over this, but his reputation was so bad in the midst of all this. That's why he went to the UK. Like he was, it wasn't just that he was tired of all the women. 
he was like, okay, I'm starting to look bad here. I got to go somewhere else. Precisely. Yeah. Yep. And then the Glasgow operation had started up previously. And he said, oh, I went to London to be at the new operation. No, yeah. he left because everyone hated him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, look, I don't know exactly if we can, you know, credit his Playboy behavior with his success. or <laughs> I, I don't know what the correlation is. But I think if we have to pull any moral of the story here for Singer and looking at some of the comparisons we made to some of the bad boys of modern business, I think the correlation is just that there is a separation of business and bad behavior Mm -hmm. when it comes to personal behavior that was okay then and is kind of still okay now to some extent. That there is a certain tolerance in the business world for bad behavior as long as you're performing well from a business perspective. So I guess the moral of the story is, if you kind of want to be a bad boy, but you have some good ideas, you do you. <laughs> I, I think you're okay. You do you. Yeah, it, it worked out for Isaac Merritt Singer it pretty sh- well. It sure did. <laughs> that is our show for today. It's all sewn up. We'll see you next time. Bizography is a production of iHeartRadio and DB Media. I'm your host, Dana Barrett. My co-host is Nick Bean. Our producer is Tari Harrison. And our executive producer is Jonathan Strickland. Have questions? Want to give us feedback? Or have a company you'd like us to cover? Email us at info at bizography.show or contact us on social. I'm at the Dana Barrett on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or just search for me on LinkedIn. Thanks for your support. No one likes to talk about money. Am I saving enough? Can I buy a house? Am I paying too much in taxes? Will I be able to retire? What if you could unlock insights about your finances in less than five minutes with a clear picture of where you stand today and where your money can work harder? Now you can. Visit facet.com to take the free quiz and get your financial wellness score today. That's F-A-C-E-T.com. This ad is sponsored by Facet. Facet Wealth Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details.